as Christina said yesterday, the framework for a retreat such as this is the uh, four satipatthanas. So this word that uh, I'm just putting into the chat, satipatthana, Sati is the Pali word for mindfulness. So in the language in which the earliest Buddhist teachings are, are written down, um, Sati is the word that's translated as mindfulness. And Patana um, can be translated in a number of ways. It, it could be translated as the establishing of mindfulness. So the four ways of establishing mindfulness would be one translation or the four dimensions of our experience the four aspects of our experience within which mindfulness can most fruitfully be established most usefully be established that would be one way of thinking of this term satipatthana um, and it is the case that, that contemporary mindfulness programs really, in, in so many ways, derive from this teaching of the Buddha um, in, in ways that are obvious, in ways that are actually very subtle. So it, it's, um, it is a foundational teaching, and it is a lifetime's practice these satipatthanas. And as Christina uh, introduced yesterday, the body is the first uh, satipatthana, the first of the four, and indeed it's the arena within which we explore all uh, these aspects of mindfulness practice, all these domains of mindfulness practice. The Buddha said, the person who has no mindfulness of the body has no mindfulness at all. And we can check that out in our experience, you know, in the moments when I have no mindfulness of the body, I have no mindfulness at all. And so um, to really, at the beginning of our day, uh, recommit to mindfulness of the body as the arena, the playground, uh, what Christina sometimes calls the classroom of our practice and our awakening. And um, so as we unfold the, the sequence of the, the four, Satipatthanas over these days, please remember that each of them is to be explored primarily within the body. And I'd like this morning to invite you to bring embodied awareness to the theme of the second Satipatthana, which is the theme of what in the Pali is translated, uh, uh, the Pali word for it is Vedana. Again, that's just gone into the chat, Vedana. 
this is a word that doesn't have an easy English translation. Videte means to feel, it also means to know, we could say it means to experience. And it points to the uh, to an aspect of our experience that is is all pervasive, all experience we have we ever have has Vedana, and yet until we've started doing practice, nobody's ever encouraged us to pay attention to it. And, you know, I'm conscious that some of you on this call have heard many talks on Vedana. And yet it, it also probably is worth reflecting how easy it is to forget to pay attention to Vedana. <laughs> you know, how easy it is to kind of overlook this all-pervasive aspect of our experience. So here's a chance right now for us all uh, to renew our acquaintance and deepen our inquiry into Vedan. And what this refers to is the experience that all sense contact, all experience in each of our six senses. So in early Buddhist psychology, there are six senses. There's the, the five familiar ones of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. And to that, the Buddha adds mind. So thoughts are to the mind what objects are to the eyes, what sounds are to the ears, what smells are to the nose. Does that make sense? So thoughts or moods, or perceptions. All of these are the domain of the mind sense, uh, sensing, yeah? Okay, so we've got these six domains and the Buddha says, uh, this summarizes all of our experience, you know. Have you ever had an experience that didn't belong with the domain within the domains of those six senses? Probably not, yeah? So this is all of our experience. And he says, every sense experience we have in each of these six domains comes toned as pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, right? Pleasant, unpleasant or neither. We could think of this as a spectrum from very unpleasant to very pleasant, yeah? With a good region in the middle that is difficult to discern. It's kind of, as the Buddha puts it, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, sometimes described as neutral, yeah? So, you know, check this out in your own experience in this moment. Is this the case that every body sensation that you're experiencing in this moment is pleasant somewhere on that spectrum of pleasant, unpleasant, neither? Every sight you can see in this moment is somewhere on that spectrum in your experience. Every sound you can hear, 
the smells that come into your nose, the tastes lingering in your mouth, the thoughts and moods in the mind are toned, yeah? Toned, pleasant, unpleasant, neither. Maybe very pleasant, maybe mildly pleasant, maybe very unpleasant, maybe mildly unpleasant. Much of our experience in any moment is neutral, isn't it? If you just think how probably unexcited you are by the color of the ceiling in your room or by the feeling, I mean, you could get excited about it. Oh gosh, it needs painting. Oh, and we can see that actually once I start kind of thinking like that, actually it starts to develop a feeling that, oh, unpleasant, looks a bit. And that's a little indicator, isn't it? That the Vedana, the tone of the experience, doesn't belong in the object, but belongs in the moment of experience. It's conditioned in the moment of experience. Yeah? It's not that the ceiling of your room is always pleasant or unpleasant, yeah? Or neither. It, it depends a lot on the way of perceiving, yeah? How it's being perceived on the conceptual framework of uh, those perceptions. If you're looking at, and the conceptual framework is that, yeah, I own this house, it's my responsibility to get it painted, that's going to have a different feeling tone from if you're at Gaia House and you happen to look up and see that the paint's a bit chip. You think, okay, just the paint chip. It's not my, it's not my responsibility. You know, if there's the perception of it being my responsibility, it becomes, you know, the feeling tone probably more unpleasant. Or, you know, whatever trip you're on in relation to the decoration of your own house, you know. It's, it's so crucial to see this, you know, that the Vedana is conditioned in the moment. The third chocolate brownie will have a different Vedana from the first, won't it? Yeah. The bell at the end of some meditations will seem like a, a, a kind of blissful release. And another end of other meditations will seem like an intrusive annoyance. Yeah. So we just get the sense that actually uh, these are being conditioned, these Vedana are being conditioned moment by moment. <laughs> Let's just clarify one piece here though, that, that this term is often translated as feeling tone, feeling tone. But this is not referring to emotion or indeed to judgments where I'm kind of thinking, oh yeah, is this, do I like this or not? It, it's a much more immediate felt sense. So for instance, if you put your two lips gently together in this moment, just have your lips gently together. Unless you've got some kind of, your lips are chapped or something like that, you'll probably notice, okay, there's the sensation of contact of the two lips. And there's just this quietly pleasant okayness about those sensations. Yeah. It's just kind of quietly pleasant having your lips together. If now you, you gently 
bite your tongue. Can we notice that there's the sensation of that contact of teeth and tongue, and there's probably a quietly unpleasant Vedana to that. And obviously the more tightly you bite, the more unpleasant it will become, right? Can we feel that? So it's like a kind of pat patina or a, a tone or a, just a kind of infusing of sense experience with this spectrum of, uh, sometimes the word hedonic is used philosophically. So it's like, there's this hedonic spectrum, there's this spectrum from pleasant to unpleasant with a lot of it being neutral. <clears throat> and the Buddha's really clear that, uh, well, perhaps just to say a, a few, just a little bit to point out how subtle and influential this is. Just notice how, you know, fleeting images passing through the mind. You know, you have the fleeting image of a cup of tea. Oh, pleasant. Yeah. Or a fleeting image of your inbox. You know, oh, unpleasant. Yeah. Um, if it's anything like mine. Yeah. Or just how subtle, you know, during lockdown, I was really noticing that, that you know, being in sharing a house, it, just the f it, there could be just a feeling of kind of space invasion a bit. And it's not that one could even put one's finger on what it was, but there was just a sense of, oh, this is a bit invasive. This feels a bit, we're all a bit in here together kind of feeling. Or people who were on their own during lockdown, you know, people speaking about the, just the feeling of not having been touched or hugged for so many weeks. These can be very subtle and energetic, you know, very subtle and energetic. We, as far as we can tell, you know, right from the womb, the, the infants are feeling Vedana and respond, reacting to Vedana. Isn't that right? You know, so if there's some kind of you know, intrusion or trauma, uh, you can see the, the, the infant reacting in a certain way or moving towards that which is pleasant. So this is really highlighting how shaped we are by Vedana. And those of you who have a psychological background will be aware of just, you know, and perhaps we're all aware of this, how influential semi-conscious, unconscious beliefs can be. You know, unconscious beliefs like I'm not lovable or I'm not okay in some way. You know, uh, just the unpleasant Vedana of those beliefs or, or the belief that I am okay, you know, I am lovable. The Vedana of these can really we can spend a lot of our life reacting to Vedana. And that's really why the Buddha points this out. Um, in the moment, there's nothing that we can do about Vedana. They, they're a given. Yeah? They just arise as a given. The Buddha calls them ethically neutral. The problem 
if you like, is the very instinctive way in which our embodied hearts and minds react to Vedana. React by, what do we do? If there's pleasant, there's an automatic reaction to want more of it, to want to lean towards it, to maybe to get busy about thinking, oh, how could I prolong this? How could I intensify it? How could I plan for future examples of it? Sometimes people you know, talk about being on you know, retreat and really enjoying being on retreat. And noticing they're spending the meditation thinking, oh, when could I next go on retreat? Oh yeah, I've got some time next year and I could go there. And, and actually, it's like, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not there enjoying the retreat. I'm just busy planning for pleasant Vedana, you know. Um, even more powerful, of course, is the reactivity that gets uh, triggered by unpleasant Vedana, which you know, has a kind of survival drive about it, doesn't it? Because unpleasant Vedana can be experienced as threat, as danger, as something that uh, is threatening my either safety, which is a huge driver, or my happiness, which is also a huge driver. And so we really wriggle and twitch and recoil and also ruminate. You know, we, we overthink, don't we? We repeat loop overthink to avoid unpleasant Vedana. <clears throat> and uh, I often quote the, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, who said, we dance like puppets on the strings of our impulses. We dance like puppets on the strings of our impulses. And we can feel just how much, um, as the Buddha puts it, Vedana rules. <laughs> Vedana rules consciousness. You know? We can roll through day after day, you know, week after week, month, year after year, decade after decade, basically, being governed by reactivity to Vedana. It can write our biography, you know, it can write the story of our unfolding lives. You know? And there's something quite humbling about, about that, just to see how influential it is. And the Buddha points our attention to this, not as a kind of fatalism, or a sense of, oh, this is the only, you know, we're, we're just condemned to chase and avoid Vedana. But because this is where freedom lies. This is where we can develop our capacity to respond rather than just react. You know? And this is very, this understanding really infuses mindfulness-based approaches. If you think about the raisin exercise, session one, yeah. <laughs> what we get as teachers when we do the raisin exercise is people's history with raisins and the Vedana of their history with raisins. Some people really want more, they get happy memories. Some people really don't like it and they get horrible memories. They try to avoid it. For many people, there's just a sense of, oh, raisin, no big deal, you know. And 
what the practice does is it brings the possibility of choice, brings the possibility of bringing mindfulness right into that moment of encounter with sense experience and seeing what happens if I get interested rather than just getting busy, yeah? Busy with my reaction. If I get interested and start to notice, and this is, you know, what the purpose of pleasant and unpleasant event calendars are in MBCT, MBSR, other MBIs, to get us interested in how we react, how we're governed, you know, and to open up new pathways of choice to open up the possibility that we can be with pleasant Vedana without be, getting busy planning for intensifying it or planning for it in the future. We can be with unpleasant Vedana without just getting lost in recoil, rumination, overthinking, blaming ourselves, blaming others, you know, blaming life, you know. And we can be with neutral Vedana in a way that can actually be calming, that can actually be resourcing, that can actually be grounding, that can actually kind of support what the biologists call homeostasis. So this capacity to come back to balance, to come back to balance. And uh, this, this really is integral to the practice. This, I mean, I, I find it so extraordinary that the Buddha identified this 2,500 years ago. And uh, actually there's, there's a growing research interest in this theme, a growing Mark Williams who one of the co-creators of MBCT. This is his real interest right now as a psychologist, because he says, actually, this is something that we don't find in the same way in, in Western psychology. And yet it turns out to be crucial. You know, MBCT was created to reduce reactivity to the unpleasant Vedana of ordinary low mood which if we've had a history of depression, we can so easily spiral into repeat loop, thinking, blaming, judging, you know, pessimistic about my life, my future, and that takes me down into depression. So really, this is a, a topic that whether it's new or familiar is certainly worthy of our practice today because it's so <laughs> crucial, it's so crucial. And, you know, just to acknowledge that uh, this does, to, if it is new to you, which it may be to quite a number of people on this retreat, this takes some acclimatization just to kind of tune to it and not to make a big project of it. But in our practice today, you might like just at times to notice well, what's the Vedana of the breathing? Or what's the Vedana 
of the hands at the moment? What's the Vedana of the feeling of the body walking? You know, pleasant, unpleasant, neither. Part of what we'll notice when we do that is that Vedana changes rapidly. The Buddha compared Vedana to being like raindrops on water. So flickering, yeah? Rather than a solid block, flickering. So if you are with the breathing, you may notice, oh yeah, there's pleasant here, there's also neutral here, there may be some unpleasant here. Or the hands tingling, flickering, Vedana. So just to be interested in that, dropping that in as an occasional inquiry, being interested in what's the Vedana of where the mind goes when it wanders off, you know, pleasant, oh, a pleasant fantasy, you know, an unpleasant thought or worry, you know, just to notice that, oh, unpleasant thought, unpleasant mood, you know, unpleasant just feeling in the body. So this is, this is really good, this kind of acclimatizing to, to Vedana. <clears throat> Part of what we can also notice is how uh, dependent Vedana is on the conditions of the moment. So we can notice if I feed the fantasy of, you know, I'm going to go on a retreat next year, it's going to be great. If I feed that and get into lots of thinking about it, that will probably become unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Similarly, if I get very busy ruminating or reacting to unpleasant, that's going to make it more unpleasant. Can, can we feel that? You know, the more I hate being in the traffic jam, the more unpleasant the traffic jam becomes. This is crucial. This is actually the key to liberation is in that insight that, that reaction determines the intensity of Vedana. And that uh, the theme of last evening's talk, one of the themes of allowing, spacious allowing, we might notice that that also helps to shape Vedana. Help, helps generally to quieten and calm. We see that the suffering lies in the relationship with the Vedana. More even than in the relationship with the object. And that we have agency, there is the possibility of walking new pathways in our relationship with the pleasant and the unpleasant and cultivating what we could call a kind equanimity, a kind balance that is a theme we'll return to later in the treat. So, hope that uh, gives some reflections to practice with. Um, such a crucial theme, such a, a valuable exploration.
why don't we take it into a period of, of practice now, which might be a sitting for you, or you might want to stand. You might anyway want to stretch. You might want to lie down. If you lie down, you may find it helpful to keep your elbows on the floor and your hands in the air just to keep the mind a little bit awake and alert. But settling into a posture that really supports a sense of comfort and ease. And also a sense of uprightness and wakefulness. And you might like just to be gently curious about those experiences. So to the extent that there is comfort and ease in the body and the heart right now, can you notice and appreciate the quiet pleasantness of that. This theme of enjoying. Enjoying whatever feelings of comfort and ease there are in the body right now. And of course, this will be supported, maybe deepened by the intention of grounding, the first of the themes from last evening. So really to establish contact with the floor, with the seat, as primary anchors in this moment. And if you find it helpful, you could just be curious about the Vedana of those 
pads of contact that we call feet in contact with floor and body in contact with chair. It's the Vedana of those sensations. Maybe quite neutral. May include flickers of pleasant and unpleasantness and or unpleasantness in those sensations. How is it to allow the changing dance of Vedana in these experiences to breathe with and allow? Allowing the feet to feel like they do in this moment. Allowing the seat to feel like it does in this moment. And you may find it interesting to extend this inquiry to the hands. Again, can there be the noticing both of the sensations of hands, the sensations that you're calling hands in this moment, and a sensitivity to the tonal flickering of these sensations. So maybe there's a quiet okayness in the hands that you can just notice and enjoy. Maybe there are flickers of, of unpleasantness in the hands from a kind of ache or some strain or discomfort in the hands and just noticing, oh, unpleasant Vedana arising and passing. So again, just allowing the changing dance of Vedana, like raindrops on water, moment by moment, in the region of our experience that we're calling hands. 
How is it to practice allowing that spacious allowing of hands to feel just as they do in this moment? What about the breathing? Gently investigating this breath, this cycle of breathing with that same sensitivity to pleasant, neutral, unpleasant moments of sensation. Allowing this breath, allowing this cycle of breathing to feel just as it does, just a spacious allowing. And can we notice the wisdom and the possibility in the Buddha's encouragement of appreciative enjoyment of that which is pleasant, or even that which is just feeling okay, quite neutral but okay. So this second theme from the talk, that of enjoying, what happens to the Vedana of breathing or any of the other three anchors of hands, feet or seat? If you practice a gentle enjoying of the quiet pleasantness of these sensations or the quiet okayness of these sensations. The, the main practice, the primary intention in your practice is again and again renewing the attitude of gentle enjoying, gentle appreciating the sensations of whichever of the anchors feels most 
available to be appreciated in this moment. Enjoying and allowing. This is how ease, contentment, well-being, samadhi are deepened and established moment by moment. Even in the midst of other Vedana that may be difficult, difficult thoughts, difficult sensations, can I practice appreciating and enjoy that which is a blessing in this moment? A breath. a sense of grounding. When you hear the sound of the bow, just noticing and allowing the changing Vedana of that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.